When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is former World Wrestling Federation superstar Duke the Dumpster Drossy, and you are listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, and you better keep doing so because it's time to take out the trash. You're listening to Stu's Wrestling Podcast, established 2019, direct from the North Wales coast. His verbal skills definitely outweigh his wrestling ability. It's time for British Wrestling's Sharpshooter, your host, Stu Palmer. Well, 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 it's episode 45. I couldn't have envisaged this. Obviously, we had the break at the back end of last year. We had like four months off. And then January hits it hard, as I've said before. Chris Dutton's been editing, doing a stellar job as per usual. Really, really good. Anyway, let's get on to today's guest. You don't want to hear me rambling. It is Sonny Ono, former manager for a lot of the Japanese stars that came through WCW at the time. Most notably, managing Ultimo Dragon when Ultimo Dragon was winning all the belts, the original belt collector, as I like to call him. But prior to that, he knew Eric Bischoff for many, many years. They did martial arts tournaments together, karate. Sonny was a champion. He was bantamweight champion, as you'll get to hear. Then he became like a liaison between New Japan and WCW, getting the guys over when they were doing the crossovers. We talk about Collision in Korea, where they went to North Korea, and they ended up doing two shows over two nights where 250,000 people, I think he said, were in attendance. And he did a bit of commentary on that as well. So yeah, Sonny's done a lot in the business. He is now a liaison consultant for Fight TV, and you'll get to hear about all this and more. So here we go, episode 45 with Sonny Ono. Enjoy. It is my honour and privilege to have a wrestling legend, a legend of the business, Mr. Sonny Ono on the show today. How's it going, Sonny? Good. I don't know who's legend. I don't know who the legend is. It's you or me, but, you know, I'm here. (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're the legend. I remember I remember the days in WCW fondly when you were managing all the guys, especially the Japanese yeah. guys, which we'll uh, obviously get to in due course. How's lockdown been for you, Sonny? Well, you know, I mean, uh, I'm fortunate that a lot of the wrestling, you know, from, from WrestleMania on, you've been all been shut down, closed down. So, um, and I... And I really can't travel to Japan. Uh, of course, their wrestling show is, is it doesn't have an audience either. And so uh, it's, it's pretty tough right now. But, uh, um, you know, it, it just got to, something you have to do, you know? So. Um, cool. That's cool. Way it is. Are they? Um, I've read some stuff about the Japanese shows. Are they going to start? Are they going to start bringing fans back in, or are they nowhere near? Yeah, I think they're starting to opening things up. I don't know when. Uh, Japanese 
probably a little bit more cautious than in you know a lot of the a lot of the European and, and, and American certainly. Um, I live in the state of Iowa. Uh, as of uh, last Friday, um, they open everything up 100%. All the restaurants open. All the gyms are open. But you know, personally, I, I think it's a mistake because it's it's of course it's spiking again. You know, they don't have a they don't have a vaccine for it. So, uh, you know, here we go again, you know, that kind of thing. That's cool. cool. I'm going to go, I'm going to go right back to your childhood to begin with. How, how was it growing up in Japan? Well, I, I was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, you know, I was, I was in uh, a lot of things, just like a lot of other kids, um, middle-class family. My, my father owned a construction company uh, type of business. And, um, so I was, um, you know, we're, we're kind of well to upper middle class and, and um, uh, lived in two-story home. So I would, as a kid, I would climb out of my second-story window and go walk down a neighbor's roof, you know, and as, as a little kid, you play, you know, like you guys play, well, in the West, you play Cowboys and Indian. I don't know what you guys did in England, but... Uh, uh, in Japan, you know, we play ninjas, you know. So I, I would pretend to be a ninja and walk on people's uh, roofs. It's cool. And I wasn't a very nice kid either because uh, I would used to do this, this older lady, a grandma, used to live on my next door, and she would sit on a balcony downstairs, and that's where she spent her time. And I would, I would pee on her roof and tell her that it was raining. That's a story, man. Story. Right, I want to talk to you. Did you watch wrestling as a kid? Before we talk about you going into martial arts, I just, I'd like to say about, find out maybe if you watched wrestling as a kid. No, not really. I mean, we all know who Ricky Dozan was, you know? He's a famous Japanese father of Japanese pro wrestling. We knew who he was. Um, but I, no, I didn't really follow you know, I didn't really, really get into wrestling till uh, um, I, I actually, you know, got jump started um, um, when I got to WCW. That's cool. Oh, just before I got to WCW, actually. I'm going to ask you then, how did you get involved with martial arts? You're very successful in martial arts. So, yeah, like the background to that and how that came about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I moved here when I was 11 years old to the United States. And, and, you know, as a small Japanese kid, it was kind of like a given that you're supposed to know some kind of martial arts, right? So I, I studied judo as a kid. I was in judo club in school. And so I was involved in, in you know, just like you do he, here in the States. And, and, and uh, you know, you, your parents kind of let you try a lot of things, see what sticks, see what you like. So I did some fencing, which is kendo. And I did some judo, and I, I was I was pretty okay with judo as a kid, and um, uh, got involved. Watched the because we practiced the same area, so watched the karate guys, and just got started in in, in karate as a child. And um, we moved to the United States, and I couldn't find the um, uh, a karate school right away, so I was in a judo club for a while, and uh, and and. Uh, uh, up in Alaska, where I landed, uh, actually in Fairbanks, Alaska, um, I, I joined the uh, karate club there, 
And uh, that was a guy named by Gary Johnson. He was a student of uh, uh, Erskine Matthew and Peter Urban out of New York, which is pretty famous uh, uh, American goju style of martial arts. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of how I, how I got it started. And, and, uh, and it continued as I, uh, as I got older. And, and, uh, and as you get older, all you wanted to do is, you know, see, kind of test yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and that's how I got involved is going to other karate school. I was in Iowa by this time and, and, and had a small karate school. And, and, uh, I used to travel up to Minneapolis to, uh, um, train with a guy like Gordon Franks, who was a, a super lightweight champion of the world in kickboxing, a PKA, Professional Karate Association. And uh, that group had a guy named by Eric Bischoff who was managing one of the schools, and that's how we met. I was going to ask, that was going to be my next one. Obviously, you connecting with Eric Bischoff. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're basically the same age. Eric is, is, is uh, maybe, maybe half a year younger than I am. And... Uh, all we wanted to do back then, all we wanted to do back then was just, you know, get our gear and uh, uh, go travel to all the tournaments all over the United States and, you know, see how good or how bad we were. And we could, we could fight people without going to jail. So, you know, without getting in trouble. So we would go to tournament all over. We would travel, get in a van and just travel to Atlanta, Georgia, North Carolina, Chicago. Texas, you know, tough places like New York, and, and uh, that, that's what we did, and that's how we got to be friends. I'm going to ask, like, you, were very, you were very successful. You were the best bantamweight in the world in karate. How, how was it? How, was it pressure? Was there a lot of pressure being the champion? No, you know, I, back then, we, you know, we barely made any money fighting, you know. I mean, it, it, we probably paid more people, the trainers and stuff, more than anything else. But so it was more of, you know, love, love to see how far I can go, you know, um, and um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it was fun for uh, 75 to 81. I was number one. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, got, got to uh, compete against real tough guys. And, and uh, you know, at least I know where I was at. Is there money to be made in it now, like karate and that? Well, I think we were, you know, Eric Bischoff fought on, uh, uh, actually in, on, on the CBS television show and stuff like that. I mean, um, it, 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 money to be made back then, we were way ahead of our time, mm -hmm. you know. And now that uh, because of kickboxing came in, uh, uh, got a little bit more popular, and of course, uh, um, Tough Man mm -hmm. and MMA and UFC, um, that's what, you know, that's where the money is. Even, even now, though, you know, those UFC guys don't make money like, like the boxers do. I'm going to fast forward a bit now into, into wrestling and obviously Eric Bischoff getting you to come in with WCW. And you were, you were in an off-screen role, weren't you, at the time? You were like liaison for WCW and New Japan Pro. How, how was that getting the guys over for stuff? How, how was that booking the people to come, come on the show? Well, interesting enough, how I got, how, how I got there 
was that Eric and I always had a dream of, you know, doing, because Eric was already a VP of operation at WCW at the time, you know, in 1994, I think. And uh, he called me up one day and he said, hey, Sonny, you, you Japanese still pretty good, right? And I said, yeah. He says, uh, you know, you want to go to Japan with me? And uh, it was kind of short notice, and we went over there. And, and premises was, at least what Eric and I discussed, was because I didn't know anything about pro wrestling and what was going on with New Japan and WCW at the time. And ended up, uh, we wanted to go there and, and try to talk to the Japanese about maybe doing an uh, offshoot program, doing some kickboxing. That, that's, that's the premises what we went there for, or what I went there for. So as we get there, <coughs> I don't realize there was an issue between WCW and New Japan. I have no idea, none whatsoever. We sit down in front of five other meanest looking guy sitting across from us. Um, we had uh, Masa Saito, you know, uh, we had uh, uh, Mr. Sagaguchi, who was the heavyweight judo champion, former ju Olympic judo champion. We had Ricky Choshu. Another huge, mean-looking dude, you know. And we had uh, uh, Mr. Baisha, who was a business guy. And, and we had another gentleman. But, you know, they all looked like they wanted to eat us. And I, and I couldn't quite figure out why, you know. And Eric started to talk. And uh, Mr. Hattori, Tiger Hattori, uh, who just retired for a long time. Uh, 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 he was a liaison officer as well for New Japan lives in New York, speaks very good English. He says to me, go, Sonny, you translate. So got on, you know, got kind of put on a spot. I said, okay, I will. And as Eric speaks, mind you, I have no idea what he's going to say. Eric talked about, first, I would like to apologize for my prior management taking, you know, somewhere wrong, along 400 to $500,000 and and talent fee and not sending any talent here before. So that, that's basically how, how the conversation started. And, and, and you know, uh, he's apologizing and trying to make amends uh, how we can move forward. And, and um, you know, that's basically what happened. And what Masa Saito, after Eric makes his speech, says, Okay, who's going to be a contact person? Because that's communications is an issue for us. So, Eric, without escaping a beat, he says, "Oh, that'll be Sunny. I always take Sunny's call." And I looked at Eric and I go, "What? I, you know, like I, I don't work for you. <laughs> you know what's going on?" He goes, "Don't worry about it. You got a job now." So that's how I that's how I started. Wow. So I. I was a person who was making sure that when they made requests, he got to Eric and gave him, you know, a timely response. And, and, uh, and that worked out really well. Uh, a guy named by Brad Ringen who worked for, was a professional wrestler at AWN WWE or WWF at the time. Um, he was also worked for New Japan. So between four of us, Masa Saito, Eric Bischoff, uh, Brad Ringen, and myself, we made everything work. That's, that's the success of uh, a relationship between New Japan and WCW. That's cool. That's cool. Did you, obviously, you, you went on to be in front of the screen. Did you have that, was that just 
Eric asking you to do that, or did you have plans to be in front of the screen as well as off screen? No, I had no plans to be, but you know, I, I have because of martial arts, I done a movie before, so I've been, you know, I, I done some movie roles. I had I had a chance to, you know, I, so I, I've been in front of the camera before, um, you know, um, basically playing a martial artist, you know, which is punching and kicking. So it, it wasn't it wasn't too much of a stretch, and nor is you know, and so when we started bringing the Japanese New Japan talent over, um. You know, just like just like even today, you know, Asuka and Nakamura will probably be, um, you know, two of the big uh, uh, Japanese star right now. <clears throat> uh, you know, even in AEW because they use Japanese talent. You know, the problem is for television, it's very hard to move the story along. They can't just show up and fight the guys. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's television or pro wrestling in the United States. And, and all over is it's really story driven. So uh, uh, they, needed, they needed a mouthpiece. So at that time in 94, you know, this, this is right when the bubble was about to burst, but Japanese had plenty of cash. They were buying up all the golf courses and real estate. Wow. So with that, I, you know, I became the sunny owner of the character, was a rich Japanese businessman coming over here to buy, you know, anything he can get his hands on. So that's how I became the character, and then I became a mouthpiece for the for the talent. That's cool. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I wanted to ask how the trip was for Collision in Korea. Oh yeah, how how that was, how was uh, that going going over there? Well, you know, uh, uh, prior to that, um, if you remember going back, uh, Antonio Inoki was. Had a, had a match with uh, wrestler versus boxer things, Muhammad Ali, you know. Um, and so uh, uh, Mr. Inoki had reached out to Eric if he can get all of Muhammad Ali. And Eric happened to have a contact with Ali. So we met in Denver, all of us. And, and uh, um, through that, and, and you got to remember at that time, Mr. Inoki was in a member of a diet kind of like a U.S. Senator, you know, or, or a member of House of Representatives. So um, uh, politically, he had a connection with North Korea. So uh, uh, wanted to do this peace festival to bring professional wrestling to for all the places, North Korea, at the, in, 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 in ended up being the largest, you know, two-day audience and Guinness Book of World Record for pro wrestling attendance. I'm not sure if those people paid or those people actually, you know, wanted to be there because they didn't know. I don't, I don't think they knew what professional wrestling was. But when we got there, they had two television channels. One was nothing about professional wrestling, a lot of them black and white. And the other one was nothing but, you know, uh, great Kim Sung-il. And and uh, uh, you know a, a propaganda channel and, and professional wrestling channel. That was the only two channels there was. <laughs> and, but uh, it was pretty, you know. And and I was told by uh, U.S. government and and Japanese government both told me not to go. But because uh, they said, you know, yeah, they just told us, yeah, you should be going there. But you know, I went anyway. I mean, it was you know, once in a lifetime chance, right? That's to be told. No, and and you all and you went, man. Uh, I commend you. I commend you for going.
I, I really do, man. Honestly, that's uh, it's quite inspiring that when you've been told not to go. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Hey, we can't guarantee your safety. You know, but same same was told to me backing up into 1986. I represented the U.S. team and went to uh, Pretoria, to South Africa. Yeah, that was there was still a part side going on there. Yeah, and, but I we I got invited by uh, we we all got invited by a guy named by President De Klerk who became a president of the clerk. He was a sports minister at the time. And, and actually I met him afterward uh, a few years back. <clears throat> I saw him again and I got a gold medal from uh, uh, that event. And, and I showed him the gold medal and told him when I was, I was in South Africa uh, when he was the sports minister. So, you know, look, you know, life is too short. You got to take chances and, you know, re you know, calculated chances at that, but you know, it was it was a great opportunity. I can say I was there, um, yeah. South Africa doing a part side and 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 train with South African, train with uh, Swedo, um, the, the shanty town mm -hmm. went there. There were martial artists there, so you know, we got to do. I got to do some stuff that a normal human being don't get to do. You know, and and same thing as Korea. You know, when I was in when I was in uh, Korea, uh, North Korea, we went to visit because they, they had a lot of uh, 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 scheduled stuff for us to do. You know, to go visit. I think we went to go visit either. Uh, I think Liki Dozan, uh, his home or uh, uh, one of the homes, an old, you know, kind of like a monument kind of place. And we went there. And as we were walking back, I feel. Somebody slapping me in the back of my head, and I, I go, what, you know, and I'm, I turn around and look. It was Muhammad Ali jabbing me in the back of my head. <laughs> so I, I had a picture of me and him squaring off right in front, right front of the limousine that we were about to get in. So, you know, stuff like that, and he was very kind. Uh, he, he, you know, and he signed some stuff for me. I, I got a watch signed by him and, and a photo of me and him squaring off. So, you know, stuff that you can't duplicate. Sonny, you announced you announced on that show, didn't you, with Mike Tanay and Eric? Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I was in that. Yeah, yeah, uh, we did a. Uh, I think it, it's called a Collision in Korea or something like that. Yeah, which is a Peach Festival. Um, you know, something like one hundred fifty thousand people one night and one hundred eighty thousand people the second night. Uh, it, it, it's phenomenal. You know, they have a, a one wall, one side of the stadium. They have these little kid with a flip card, you know, this card, about 12 yeah. by 12 card. And if you can imagine how we see each other on television, every pixel was one of those cards. So they would flip card and make the missile fly, Wow! you know, towards the United States. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. Yeah, that rocky can... going up. It, sound, it sounds it. <laughs> yeah, it we were sounds... all watching. Oh, that's great. What what was it like announcing? Obviously, you know you done you done the off screen, you done on screen, and then you were announcing. Yeah. How how did you find doing the announcing? Well, I was I was there as a commentary, you know, a little yeah. bit. So I, that was the first time I ever did it. So that was that was kind of rough. I mean, I didn't I didn't really know when to speak, you know, and that kind of thing. But speaking of that, um, I'll, I'll segue into this. You you talked about Japanese pro wrestling. There's a pro wrestling Noah, as you know, mm -hmm. which is probably the second biggest you know a group they have quite a bit of stars there um they started their production without a fans place like korok and hall and stuff like that uh uh just started 
in the March, and of course they're going now in, in June, and in uh, DDT, uh, Tokyo Josh Pro Wrestling, which is Tokyo Women Pro Wrestling, uh, that's a promotion, and as as well as uh, uh, Pro Wrestling Noah, they're going to be bringing their show live to all over the world on a Fight TV. Uh, Fight TV is a platform that you can see. Fit, you can download it; it's free. And they got something like, uh, uh, you know, five million people on on the platform that you can watch. And uh, they just asked me to do a voiceover for that pro those program in English. So I'll be doing a color commentary for those guys uh, coming July. I'll, I'll be starting that. You you work you work for Fight, don't you? I'm sorry. You do you do work for Fight, don't you? You've got you've got a role within Fight TV. Or am I yeah, wrong? I work at the yeah, I work at the Fight TV as a, just like I did at WCW. I'm an international consultant. So yeah, I work with mainly Japan, but work with other country like uh, Burma uh, uh, or uh, um, uh, Myanmar, um, and and uh, uh, Korea, mm -hmm. China. I work with mostly Asian countries. But uh, yeah, so we bring these, you know, unique program, generally martial arts, MMA, fighting program, you know, it's a combative sports channel. But uh, FITE, um, you can download it, it's free. And uh, there's a lot of free content out, out there. So uh, 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 it's gonna be great. And last year, uh, Fight sponsored us um, to uh, bring uh, we did a tryout for Russell One program, which wow. is a Muda's program, and we we, we took uh, thirteen guys. We went to we went to Japan to train there for two weeks, and and uh, a lot of those guys got to work at Russell One show, like in Kolak and Hall. And we're going to be doing that. We were supposed to do one this year, obviously, because what happened? We're not. But uh, next year in, in twenty twenty one, we'd be resuming that again to uh, take young, discover the young talent here in the United States. Who wants to work in Japan? Take them over there, train them for a couple of weeks on their style, learn their style, and actually be able to perform in Japan. That's a cool concept. That I like it. Yeah. It's it's interesting for these young kids. There's so many, so many great talents, especially over here in the UK. We've got some, we've got some talent over here at the moment. I tell you, it's uh, crazy, crazy. I tell yeah. you. And, and, and in 2021, we're planning on doing one there in, in, in UK. We have a plan. Um, so uh, uh, a guy named Matt Jarrett, he's, uh, he's a promoter. He does a show called Super Clash. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so in conjunction with his show, we're going to be bringing some Japanese talent over there, like Kaz Hayashi and uh, maybe, maybe some guys from Noah, like Maruhuji, um, you know, uh, Kendo Kashin. I don't, I don't know who. But we'll be bringing some of those Japanese stars to Matt's event at Super Clash. And then we're likely at the same time, at the same week, we're probably going to have a tryout for, uh, to bring some of those uh, UK talent, European talent, back to Japan. That's cool. I just want to go back to WCW. And obviously, yeah. your, your, time, your time as a manager, uh, initially, obviously, managing the Japanese guys. How, how was that? with the Japanese guys on, on Nitro every week and the pay-per-views? Because they're such a great talent as far as wrestling, you know, um, 
they're very colorful. They're, they're, you know, their, their entrances, you know, they're Jushin Thunder Liger, you know, uh, Kensuke Sasaki, Chono, you know, um, of course, Great Muda, um, you know, Masa Saito, Kanemoto, um, uh, Otani. Those are the guys I manage. You know, we had a guy like Tenzan, you know, and um, so we had a lot of those top Japanese New Japan talent here in the U.S. And, of course, with that, they started, you know, NWO Japan, which is the biggest angle New Japan ever had. Uh, they sold, in 1998, they sold something like $7 million with the T-shirt in Japan. Wow. Huh. Yeah, so it, it was quite, uh, quite the deal for them. Um, quite the angle for for them and and uh, very successful business relationship we had. I'm, I'm just going to ask. Obviously, you worked worked the angles with Chono and Great Muta, and obviously, yeah. Great Great Muta spat the venom on you. How how was that? How was it doing the angle with the guys? Well, you know, the the, the angle was that that I, I obviously I've been managing all the Japanese and 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 Chono turns on me and becomes rips his shirt and shows his NWO t-shirt that he had joined the NWO. And, and of course, um, um, being disgraced in front of the camera, I, I avenged my, 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 my honor by bringing Great Muda to kick Chono's rear end. And turns out, Chono turns on me and sprays the mist. And, and that's the beginning of NWO Japan. And, 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 uh, but far as, you know, far as doing an angle was, was, you know, it was, I, I, I'm very happy that I, I was involved in, you know, beginning of something that was so successful, um, in Japan. That's cool. I remember, I remember you most fondly managing Ultimo Dragon and obviously Ultimo was the original belt collector. How, how was it managing Ultimo? Oh, you know, he's a great guy. I mean, we we still work together in a lot of the a lot of the events and conventions. Um, he's currently uh, uh, back with uh, Toriumon, um, Dragon Dragon Gate Gym in Japan, um, which is the, a promotion over there, Dragon Gate. And um, so he doesn't get to come to U.S. too much. And of course, with COVID thing, so you know everything's kind of shut down for a moment. But uh, yeah, I know uh, uh, Yoshihiro Asai, that's his name. Um, he's a great friend of mine. Uh, you know, we always, we, we always get together, and I, I, uh, I book a lot, lot of his stuff in the U.S. and U.K., and so we're hoping that we can bring him over there to U.K. fan, yeah. you know, before he, uh, he hangs up his, uh, you know, dragon mask. So uh, uh, hopefully, you know, you guys, so I, I get to see you fans in U.K. and in person. With with obviously Liger hanging it up, it's it's Ultimo yeah. now, isn't it? When if you think of it like that, yeah, yeah, you'll be Ultimo, and of course, you know, I think Mudam in in next couple of years, I think. I managed to catch Ultimo uh, over it, but it was many years ago at a SmackDown house show. So yeah, I wanted to see him for years. So that was that was cool getting to see him in the flesh, doing what he what he does best. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's a great. He's a well-dressed man. He should, I, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he, he been in like a, a, a like a GQ magazine, Japanese version of GQ magazine, because he's really well-dressed. He's, you know, you think the way he dresses, he's a millionaire, because he does dress really well. So, 
He went on to get the capture the television title, didn't he? And uh, obviously a man yeah. in our hearts over here in the UK, he wrestled Stephen Regal, William Regal. Yeah. How, how, what do you remember? What do you remember of that match and the, the feud? Yeah, Laura Stephen Regal. You know, he's, he's, he is, uh, um, his style is, is very uh, reminiscent of uh, Japanese style, known as strong style. I think England and Japan has a lot, lot in common um, when it comes to wrestling and a lot of other things. And I do know, just a little side note here, you know, Japan emulated England throughout the history. Both the little islands had big navy. You country was conquering the world as an empire. And Japanese says, well, if they can do that, we can do that. And that's what Japanese emulated England, built a big navy, and started conquering all over Asia. Of course, got us in a little trouble, and, and World War II started. But other than that, you know, we always emulated, uh, uh, certainly England. So we have a lot of respect for uh, uh, England uh, and how, how tough and spunky England's are. And, and even their wrestling style is pretty stiff, you know. Uh, 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 lot of hold, lot of submission stuff before, you know, that was popular, you know, before UFC, you know, the submission styles of wrestling. So uh, um, uh, I was looking for the, the contrast of, you know, uh, stiff, strong style of, of uh, uh, Stephen Regal. And, of course, Ultimo Dragon trained in New Japan Dojo, went to Mexico, came, you know, and became Ultimo Dragon. So he had a style that uh, um, had, had a lot of lucha element in it, you know, so the high-flying moves and stuff like that. So the contract, I think, worked out really well. I think it was a pretty good match and a pretty entertaining match. And uh, we were lucky enough to escape with the win and, and got him a championship. He's so well respected. I, I know, like, obviously, you hear you hear the American guys about Regal, Daniel Bryan, all the guys. It's just, it's it's nice for us in the UK to you know hear that about one one of our own. You know, right, right. No, he, without a doubt, he's probably as of right now, um, and and current, you know, era, he's probably one of the most respected um, wrestler to come out of in England. You know, we all we all say, obviously, when I was a kid, British Bulldog, uh, Dynamite, Dynamite was a little bit before my time. But look, look how long Regal was doing it. I think he deserves to be put on a, you know, on a level. Pedestal, I agree, and he's still working at uh, uh, NXT. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw him a couple about a year ago. I I I, I saw Stephen um, at one of the conventions. And, and it was great to see him. He's still in great shape, looks great. He, can, he still look like he can go back in a ring any day. So <laughs> he's, he's looking tough. He is a tough man. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had the pleasure. I've, I've met him a couple of times. So, yeah, we've had, we've had good fun when we've met Regal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that age-old question that we all ponder. Is wrestling fixed? This is Bill Apter, and my answer to that is 
I didn't know it was broken. So many of you know me from my days back at the classic wrestling magazines, and a lot of you from OneWrestling.com and OneWrestlingVideo.com. But I always get questions about various things I've did through the years to propel my career to where it is today as the world's most recognizable journalist in pro wrestling. What was my relationship with the McMahons? Was I the guy who started that feud between the actor, comedian Andy Kaufman and Jerry the King Lawler? What is Ric Flair really like? Who are my favorites? Well, all this and more answered in my book that you can get online or at your favorite book dealer called Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. It's a great read, got great views, and hopefully you'll be picking it up soon too. So the answer to Is Wrestling Fixed? You know it now. I didn't know it was broken. This is Bill Apter, and I'll see you at the matches. GTG, often imitated but never duplicated. Kind of brawl at the shoulder, narrow at the hip. No other promotion. Give us any lip. We the best of the best. The beast of the east. SOS. Simply out of sight. GTG. What he said. Good times guaranteed. Um, just, I'm going to carry on with the manage managing. Um, obviously, where women's wrestling is today, obviously, where it is. I'm just going to go back to when you were managing Bull Nakano. And the, these girls were great talents back then, but I don't think they weren't getting the recognition, were they, that they get now? Yeah, I, I, think, I, I, I think that was the beginning. You know, talk about being ahead of his, his time. When we introduced, I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story. We, had a, we worked out a deal with a company called Gaia Japan. Uh, Chigusa Nagaya, one, another, another one of those famous, you know, all Japan ladies very famous Japanese wrestler. Uh, she was the head of a company called Gaia Japan, and we brought their girls over. Um, Satomura, who was 16 at the time, she's, she has a Sendai Girl promotion now, and she goes to England all the time to compete there. Um, uh, and, and so a lot of girls from that era still wrestles. And... Girl style, if you go to YouTube and look at some of those all Japan ladies, or even now some of the matches, there are, they're so stiff and so tight, so clean on their moves. It's amazing. So I had a, a cutie Suzuki uh, wrestler and a girl named Ozaki, and both these girls probably weigh maybe 125 pounds at best, tiny little things that could move. Um, and do some amazing scary moves. And uh, uh, we opened the show, I believe it was in Virginia. Kevin Sullivan was a booker, and we opened the show with these two girls going at each other. That's one of the first time we introduced female wrestling, ladies wrestling in the United States. And they just tore it down. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, boys in the back was giving, her, giving these girls ovations when they came back, back and behind the curtain. You know, that's how great he was. Kevin Sullivan tells me that these girls are phenomenal. We're going to, you know, they're here for about 10 days. We're going to put them on every show we can put them on. Great. You know, so I tell the girls that, I translate it. And uh, we go to, I think, day after we had a, uh, it was a, a Nitro or, or uh, another television taping, what it was. Anyway, 
So I see the girl's name is not on the board, on the, on the card. And I, I go to Kevin Sullivan and I go, hey, you were all that about the girls. What, you know, they're only here for a week. What, you know, what are, are you going to use them? He says, Sonny, I got to tell you. This is a shoot. This is a true story. He says to me, he goes, Sonny, I got to tell you. Um, I don't think I can put the girls back on. I said, why is that? He says, well, they, they're making our boys look bad. <laughs> they're so much better than our boys. I don't think we can put them on TV. <laughs> I go, well, that's, that's, that's silly. But yeah, that's what Kevin Solomon told me that and ended up, you know, I think they did a one other show before they went home, but you know, that's how great they are. And I, and I believe that. So we were so ahead of a time. You got to remember, you know, when a girl came back on American television, like WWF and WWE, you know, they were eye candy mostly, mm -hmm. you know, they were, they were, you know what I mean? They weren't really quote unquote wrestlers like they are now. Um, so we were, you know, we were 20 plus a year ahead of a time, you know. So when, when uh, uh, Medusa came into WCW, the problem was for us, it's find somebody Medusa can work with. And that's, Bonacano came in. That's why the, just to get her, you know, somebody she can feud with. That's why I worked with Medusa a lot um, as the as opposing manager with with uh, 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 Akita Hokuto, who is even today, I just did a television show um, last uh, uh, December in Japan at Fuji Television about her belt, because she is a still WCW World Women Champion. She still has a belt. I mean, she's, <laughs> she's still, you know, she never lost it. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, we talked about that, and they actually, the Fuji TV actually came to my home, went to North Carolina at the convention, flew me to Japan, treated me like a million bucks, and we did a live television show there. Um, so, you know, and Akira Hokuto is very famous television personality in Japan. Nobody really knows her. I mean, really knows her. She's not famous because of Akira Hokuto, the wrestler. She's Akira Hokuto as a television personality, and she's one of the most famous uh, 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 television personality in, in Japan right now. Well, just to just to close out with the management, this is going to be my last question in your, your role sure. as a manager. How how is it going on to um, obviously be manager for Psychosis and La Parker? How was that? Obviously, you'd done the women, you'd had the Japanese guys. How was it with the with the Mexican guys? Oh, great! You know, I mean, problem at that time the Mexican didn't have a manager and it wasn't really represented. And there's such a phenomenal talent, you know, Psychosis. You know, El Dandy, Damien, you know, um, uh, La Parca, um, um, uh, Silver King, who passed away mm -hmm. uh, uh, last year or earlier this year. Uh, uh, but, and, you know, those amazing talents. And, uh, you know, way WCW, I'm glad they were there at WCW because they got the show, showcase. What was great about WCW at the time when we had two and three hour Nitro show is that we could really give you a full meal courses. You know what I mean? We can open the show with, with something great, you know, uh, like Hubuntu versus uh, Ultimo Dragon, you know, classic, you know. Um, uh, all those guys, you didn't need to know the backstory. All you know is you got a heck of a wrestling show, you know. 
And then, of course, they went into a storyline with Hulk Hogan and, you know, Kevin Nash and these top guys with Goldberg. They all went in. But second hour started. They always started with another fast-paced show because we were going to now head-to-head with WWF or WWE. So we always had a great wrestling. And because of we had that thing called Cruiserweight, you know, that, that, that was, you know, how we got New Japan talent over to WCW, you know, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, you know, Ultimo Dragon, and, of course, Chris Jericho. You know, those guys came in to fill that role, and they moved on to become a huge star, obviously, at the main roster on top, you know, top of the card. So uh, uh, I, I think, you know, um, giving Eric a little bit of, uh, 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 you know, feather on his cap by introducing the cruiserweights and the, and the ladies. And, and without a doubt, you know, um, you know, guys like Ray Mysterio, who went on even now become a, a big star in, in WWE. So I, I think, you know, you have to give uh, uh, credit where credit is due. Sonny, I want to check that this this will be off camera. I just want to check with this next question that you're right to answer it. No, go ahead. You can ask me whatever you want. I just, I just wanted to be respectful, like, because I didn't know. Um, it's Thank just you. obviously, it's obviously, it, it it was when you were released by WCW yeah. when Eric was gone. So I was just checking right. before I asked it. No, it's, it's perfectly fine. Okay, that, that's fine. I'll, I'll ask it. <laughs> You were, you were released in November 99 by WCW. Eric was gone. And yeah. also with AOL Time Warner. Could you just maybe tell us a little bit about what, what happened, what occurred with that? Well, there, there was, uh, what happened was um, Eric was already gone. I think he was gone in September. Um, I was managing a guy named by Ernest Miller, uh, the cat. Mm-hmm. Very entertaining. We, we both have a martial art background. So my role as being the manager of Ernest Miller was different than what I did prior because prior I worked with people who didn't speak English. So I was their mouthpiece. So now my role with Ernest Miller was more of a sidekick. I was a little bit of comedy relief. You know, we did a lot of funny stuff. And, and uh, um, you know, we did kind of like a Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan thing. You know, that was, that was our thing, you know. And, and we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, guy named by Vince Russo came in. Uh, um, and, and prior to uh, him coming in, it's like a day or two after he came in, he made this very uh, a derogatory uh, statement, uh, a public statement. Anybody can find it on, on the Internet. In regard to, um, um, I, I, I mean, I, I can almost recite you what he says. What he said was that uh, on, on uh, I think it was one of the uh, uh, interviews, he said um, he writes for, basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that he writes for Japanese fans, I mean, American fans. He's from America, and he doesn't give a shit about the Japanese, doesn't give, it's quoting, doesn't mm-hmm. give shit about the Japanese. Doesn't give a shit about the Mexican. I'm from America, and that's what I want to see. So, problem with that statement is that first of all, he didn't know 
what Japanese and what Mexican talent with WCW. Okay. He never spoke to any of us prior to making that statement. You know, he just assumed that according to him, and if you listen to his excuse why he said it, that because Mexican wears a mask, so you can't see their expression. Hard to write for. Japanese, and, 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 and they don't speak English. Japanese, same deal. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter how great the wrestler they were. So they, they, he wasn't going to use them because he, he felt that American audience didn't give a shit about Japanese or Mexican wrestlers. So making that statement, if you're management, now he'll tell you that, well, oh, gee, I didn't fire Sonny. I don't, I don't have a power to fire anybody. He may, he'll tell you that. But problem is, if you're the head writer for any television show, and if you say, I'm not going to use any Japanese, any Mexican on, on television, why are they going to keep you? They're not going to keep you on a roster, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what happened. All, many of the Mexican all got terminated along with me and, 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 and the Japanese, like Yuji Nagata and, and, and Ultima Dragon. All these guys were all gone. And, you know, what's funny about that is that, like, in, in, in August, of uh, uh, 99, I just signed a two-year deal. I just, I just signed a two-year deal. And, and uh, he makes a statement, and they get rid of all the Japanese and Mexican that he didn't give a shit about. It's kind of thing that you go, okay, that sounds like a discrimination to me. Because what he didn't do, he didn't say, I, I don't like Sunny Ono, I don't like Kyuji Nagata, I don't like La Parca, I don't like Psychosis, I don't like El Dandy. Although those, all those names I mentioned is Japanese and Mexican, but they're a wrestler as well. So that might be hard for me to say, well, that's discrimination. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of reach, okay? He didn't say that. He said Japanese and Mexican. He used mm -hmm. nationality as a reason to describe what he what, what he didn't give a shit about. And and you know the problem is is the guy like him who had um uh, uh who had a, a preconceived notion of what, what our capability was. He never spoke to me. He only spoke to me one time in Minneapolis and I believe it was like in maybe October. Uh, Minneapolis is not very far from me, so mm -hmm. uh, I went out there because I wasn't booked. But I went out there to, uh, and I, I, I briefly say hello. But, you know, so a guy like him, okay, and I'm not saying what he is now, but at least at, at that time when he made a statement, he surely didn't know or didn't give a shit, using his word, um, about what the consequence of his statement is. Clearly, because there's always reaction when you make a statement. When you person in a power of a head writer, there's a consequences. Okay, so whether he realized it or not, that's what happened. So he's at fault. Okay, because he had what we call implicit bias. Right, implicit bias, preconceived idea of what. Anything can do 
anything, anyone can have a reaction. So it's preconceived. It could, it could be even subconscious. If you look up what implicit bias means, could be even be subconscious, but that's what he did. No different. And that lady in New York with a dog, when a black man told her to leash her dog, she freaked out because whatever her conceived idea, mm -hmm. how this African-American black man can tell her what to do. Although that is a rule of the park. That's when she flipped out, wanted to call the police and tell her that she was being attacked by a black man. How do you go from asking somebody to leash her dog to being attacked by a black man? And the reason why we know that is because it's on tape, obviously. You know, it's on video. We all saw it. So that implicit bias is what's going on, you know, the, the demonstration in England, you know, a dem demonstration all over the United States because of what happened in Minneapolis with, with uh, Mr. George Floyd. And, and it's, I believe, that police officer who is now arrested for murder also had a preconceived idea. Big black man. Took four police officers to hold him down. He had a preconceived idea of a fear. And once he was in power, you know, mm. he wanted to make sure everybody saw it. And unfortunately, Mr. Floyd got murdered by it. But now, that's a, that's a, I believe those are all preconceived, you know, mm -hmm. ideas that they had. And they all had implicit bias. And so, you know, um, obviously, um, it was settled out of court. And, and uh, um, they agreed that they were, um, there was a problem with their side, especially when you, when you person in charge makes that kind of statement, you know, so, uh, you know, um, everything's good at this end. You know, I get to see my kids go to schools and, you know, cause when you, when you're on a road and that schedule, you don't realize, right. How much you're missing, you know, you're earning good money. You're doing a lot of good things, mm -hmm. but you do, you do miss your home life. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, looking back, everything turned out real well. How how do you? I was just going to ask in in regards to to Eric Bischoff. Obviously, it's been spoken about that he he was going to buy WCW. Had had he bought WCW at the time and Vince hadn't got it, how do you think it would have gone? If if Eric was back in in charge and it was his, how do you think it would have went then? Looking back, obviously think, hindsight. Yeah, you know, it was twenty years ago. I don't know how long WCW lasted, but I I think you know because he was all ready to go they had a deal in place and uh time owner pulled the television that they, they, they said we're not going to broadcast you guys that's why you all fell fell apart you know when you didn't have a platform a national platform to put wcw on that's that's when everything uh i think it was fusion media or the name of the company that eric was with and that's why everything fell apart you know what if could have you know who knows but he would have, I think we would have all supported the new programming and I, you know, it would have gotten away from a lot of that crazy God awful booking of, you know, 2000 of, you know, um, 
uh, Buff Bagwell's mom being, being, being a champion. For that matter, Vince Russo being a champion. Um, you know, those kind of books. Because that's like really, to me, that's disgracing, you know, to all the people that was champion before. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of, you know, as, as, as Vince would put it, it was shitting on, on, on the belt, you know. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's uh, I don't think that kind of booking would happen. Uh, I think, I think uh, uh, Eric's would honor the booking and wouldn't, wouldn't allow stuff like that. He would have kept it entertaining, you know, but um, I think he was, he would, he would have went to show more wrestling. You know, and let's 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 talk. That's cool. Yeah, I I just I, I wanted to ask you that. I, I I really I really wanted to ask it. What did you do after after WCW? Then what what were you what were you doing after? Well, I always had I always had my business. I I, I own a, um, a a car dealership, mm -hmm. automobile dealership. So you know, I did that. And I, I, you know, I, I did the consulting work internationally um, with various companies like Nippon Ham and, and uh, I did some stuff for, you know, EA Sports. And um, so, you know, I, I worked, but, you know, it, uh, you got to do, and I own real estate, so uh, um, commercial real estate. So, um, you know, that, that makes my uh, uh, ends meet. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I, I had a plenty of time to spend a lot of time with my family, so I, I've been I've been very fortunate. That's cool. Just going into present day, obviously you're involved with fight, but uh, which guys which guys do you like watching in the present day? When you when you get to catch the wrestling, who who stands out for you presently? Well, I, I, obviously, I'm a fan of Japanese wrestling. So uh, NXT just had a, a women uh, champion now. Um, um, I, if I forget her name, I'd write a tip of my tongue. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the AEW got Rio and, um, and, and, and they bring a lot of Japanese talent over. And of course, I'm a big fan of Asuka. I think she's a phenomenal talent. Um, um, and of course, you know, Nakamura mm -hmm. is, is an international superstar. Um, I remember Nakamura. I met him when he was at was New Japan, um, and and so you know there, there's a so I'm a big fan of those guys. You know, I, I, as you know, was my background was international, and and uh, I feel I feel many times it's too bad that and and something Vince Russo says right. It makes it very difficult for them to carry a story along when they can't cut a promo. Or they can't carry along the storyline, you know. So uh, um, I, I think they could probably use some kind of advocate for them, you know. Um, um, that would probably go a long way for creating a storyline uh, or continuing the storyline anyway. I never understood just like, I don't know if they're still together now as a, as a team. I never, like Nakamura for me stands alone, but like, when they paired him with Cesaro, and Sami Zayn, I just, I just didn't understand it. Like a, a man of the yeah. caliber of Nakamura, Cesaro doesn't need to be with somebody. And, you know, yeah. Sami Zayn, they can all stand alone, but specifically Nakamura, he'd be better off on his own, yeah. surely. 
absolutely, I agree. From fans' perspective, like you, perspective, first of all, it doesn't make sense. Okay, when, when, uh, when they had a Kabuki Girls as well, remember that Kabuki Warriors? Yeah. Um, that made no sense to have um, um, a manager doesn't speak Japanese, doesn't speak, you know, yeah. uh, uh, and, and the girls doesn't speak English. So if you're at the ringside, how can you communicate with your wrestler? So, you know, look, we all live in suspended reality. When we go to a movie, we want to believe that all this is real. We don't need somebody to tell me, you know, your buddy next to me goes, oh, how in the hell are they talking to each other if they, don't, if they don't understand each other? So you have to make logical sense, right? You have to be able to connect the dot. And by having English-speaking manager or a wrestler trying to help Nakamura makes no sense. I understand he's going to speak for him or cut a promo or carry a, you know, use it so, so he can carry the story along, but it doesn't make sense. How are you talking to Nakamura if you don't talk Japanese, right? So, so that's, the, that's, that's the problem that, because that, you have to make sense. You know, we all want to believe. Just like when we go to a movie, all want to believe for two hours and, you know, 35 minutes, there is such a thing as laser gun and, 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 and you, know, you know, light swords, you know what I mean? But if, 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 if you keep saying, well, that's not possible, we don't fly, you know, there, there's, nobody lives in, in a space. I mean, you don't need anybody to constantly remind us, you know, that it's not possible. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the unfortunate part. You know, I, I wish they would get him. I wish they would get him um, some some kind of you know somebody uh, uh, who can make sense, who can be their advocate. You know, or even a good translator. You know, you so, you'd be uh, the man. You'd be the man for the job, Sonny. Well, you know, it's interesting when uh, Kenzo. Uh, there was a guy named by Kenzo. Um, WWE, a big, big, I, matter, matter of fact, I saw him uh, uh, when I went to Japan about uh, seven months ago. I saw him. You know, they, WWE uh, uh, did reach out to me by possibly managing him back then. That was like in 2001 or two, so. And, and uh, uh, Johnny Ace actually tried to contact me, and, and, and we tried to get that done, but it never really materialized. I think, I think what happened was uh, – uh, Kenzo's wife, who spoke English and Japanese, ended up being a manager, and that never took off. And and uh, you know, Kenzo went back to New in Japan after that. So, but you know, yeah, I mean, I you know, I think I could really help him or somebody Absolutely. like me. Absolutely, man. Your your you know, in in terms of management resume, it stands speaks for itself in my mind. So, well, thank you very much. I, I truly mean that as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, just in closing, how how is Eric Bischoff? Have you heard much from Eric? Yeah, I just I just texted him not too long ago, and and uh, he's in Wyoming. Um, you know, he just just where he lives. He lives on top of a bluff, overlooking two mountains and a lake. If I if I can give you a little little picture in your mind. Yeah. Uh, he lives in. A uh, big spread of land. He's got a big log cabin home. It's a beautiful home, and uh, he's there with his wife Lori. And uh, I think he's, he's uh, uh, 
uh, a dog, Stevie, and uh, um, uh, he's living a life. I think he's doing really well. Of course, he's, he still works. Uh, he does his 83 weeks podcast, uh, which I enjoy a lot. And uh, um, uh, he's, I think he's the executive producer for a Hulk Hogan uh, biopic that is coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got a lot going on. Uh, but I think he's, he's living a good life right now. I'm trying to chase him down in the Wrestling UK chart on Apple. He's, he's, a, bit, he's a bit above me at the moment. I'm setting, that's where I'm chasing Mr. Bischoff. I've got to uh, make my way up the charts, Sonny, somehow. <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell him, I'll tell him that you're a good guy. Just say Stu's Wrestling Podcast, obviously. Um, so, yeah, just all, I've got all the heavyweight guys above me in the chart, but we're doing, we're doing quite well considering. So, yeah. Good deal. I like okay, Eric's show. I like Eric's show, too. Very good. Very, very, very yeah. good. But that's how huge the, the wrestling was back then, you know, 20 years ago. You know, we're talking about Eric's 83 weeks. I mean, here we are 20-some years later, you know, we're still talking about what happened behind the scene. What was it like? Everybody, all these fans still want to know, you know, what was it like? And, and, and you know, I can tell you an amazing amount of story, what was it like, but it was, it was crazy. You know, it was fun, crazy. I enjoyed it. I rode it like a big, uh, big surf wave. You know, I had a great time while I was there. And, and great memories. Um, you know, people always ask me, what do you miss about the time? It's my friendship with all the wrestlers, the boys, that, that you know, the Japanese, the Mexicans, and, and American, and, of course, uh, uh, Lord Steven Rigo being in English. I miss those guys. Whenever I see them at the convention, it's like a, it's like a meeting, meeting up as a family member, you know. So those are, those are the things I miss. I have no regret whatsoever. That's good answer. Sonny, just to close out now, last little bit, can you plug your social media where the viewers and listeners can find you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitters and I'm not much. I, I, uh, I'm on there. Um, um, but, you know, on Facebook, it's, it's, it's on the Sonny Ono. Um, you know, uh, the guy who, guy, who, guy who started up the selfie before they called it a selfie. I needed to ask so, you about that. <laughs> selfie maybe, you know, I was, I was doing that. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, as you can see, and I back up and see if you can see it, I'll show you my T-shirt. Yeah. See this? See, that's, a, that's the guy. That's so, cool, man. Yeah, and we have a project going on with, uh, I have a project with the Great Muda that these characters, these cartoon characters, these, it's called the Chibis, um, they're, they're working on some program with that, so we, you, you might see us down the road. Cool, man. Good, good idea. Cool. I like that. Sounds, sounds good. Right. My guest for Stu's Wrestling Podcast today, all the way in Iowa, Mr. Sonny Ono. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for sparing the time, Sonny. Honestly, I appreciate it. I know you're busy with all your projects. So once again, man, thank you very much. Okay. Well, good seeing you. And, uh, you know, I'll see you. I'll see you again, maybe six, seven months down the road. If you need me, when, when you see me somewhere else, you can, you can give me a shout back. Absolutely, man. All right. All right. Brilliant. Say hi to all the fans. A big thank you to Stephen Ash and Ed Dowling for producing the track. It's Stu's Wrestling Podcast, the theme. So thank you very much for that, lads. Much appreciated. Love it. 
fits really well, so cheers. Thanks to you. Big thank you to Mike Angus for the show intro, as always. Superb, superb. Chris Dutton, thank you very much for editing once again. Appreciate it, buddy. And also to Lee, who does my website. Lee puts the stuff up on the website. Without you guys, I'd be screwed. So once again, as always, appreciate everything you do for me and the time you spend doing the things you do for me. It means a lot, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.